Happy Friday, Story Fam. I hope you've had a great week as most of our schools are back in session and we continue the long, slow journey towards some semblance of normalcy. I've been praying for all you teachers, you parents, and students this week as you navigate some uncharted waters together. You know, every year on September the 11th, I try to remember what happened on this day in 2001. It's hard to believe that it's been 19 years since I sat in that seminary classroom in Kansas City and heard the news that both towers um, of the World Trade Center had been struck by airplanes full of people. And when our professor turned on the TV monitors, uh, the whole class watched in horror as the towers fell. To this day, I still get chills when I consider how, as we watched the towers fall, there were still thousands of people inside of them. Even more incredible is the fact that hundreds of first responders, police officers, firefighters, paramedics, and others chose to run into the towers instead of away from them. Those heroes were willing to put their own lives on the line to save total strangers. So every 9-11, I try to remember to go out of my way to thank the first responders in my life. So whether you know a first responder personally or if you happen to see them out and about, I challenge you today to let them know how grateful you are for their service. For this week's devotional, I've been thinking a little bit about the battle in our minds between cynicism that comes from fear and hope that comes from faith. You know, some of the most harmful, most disruptive and destructive words that we say aren't really insults or racial epitaphs or ethnic slurs. Some of the worst things we say often seem innocuous on the surface when we say them. Things like, whatever, I don't care, what difference does it make, and it doesn't matter. Phrases like these are symptomatic of a deeper illness that I and many others, maybe you, are prone to. Especially when stress levels are high, you know, that there's this sickness in us called cynicism. Cynicism didn't really start out as the pessimistic outlook that we know it as today. The first cynics just really wanted to show the world that happiness is found in living for less, living with less. So in the fourth century BC, the first cynics walked away from all worldly pursuits. Their movement was still going strong during the time of Jesus. And if you look for it, you can find some overlap between classical Greek cynical thought and the message of Jesus. Like how Jesus told his followers to store up treasures in heaven instead of here on earth. That was something that the cynics would have agreed with. But there were several critical distinctions between Jesus's message and that of the cynics. For example, while cynicism promised to make its constituents happy, Jesus offered to make his followers holy. I think this is why cynicism has become synonymous with pessimism. It could never possibly deliver on its promise of making people happy. The comedian George Carlin once said, Inside every cynical person, there is a disappointed idealist. This is how a modern cynic is made. You start with an idealist who says, I deserve happiness and I won't stop searching until I find it. And then add in years of trying and failing to find that happiness. Mix in a good amount of frustration with anyone who seems to be standing in the way of their happiness be it their parents, their kids, their spouse, their ex, their boss, their ex's boss, <laughs> their church, their government, whoever. 
And then let those ingredients simmer in the pressure cooker of their heart for long enough. And then one day, voila, a cynic is born. One thing I love about the Bible is how real it is. It might surprise you to know how much pessimistic, cynical thought there is in Scripture. The reason you find cynicism in the Bible isn't because it's okay or godly to be cynical. It's there to teach us about the dark power of a cynical heart. Consider the first chapter of the book that we call Ecclesiastes. It goes like this. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their work at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains the same. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they go again. I feel like I'm using my Eeyore voice here. He continues, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. <laughs> These are the words of King Solomon. Okay, Solomon was the king of Israel in the 900s BC. So he reigned over really what's known as the golden age of Israel's history. Israel's borders expanded during his kingdom, his kingship. The economy boomed and Solomon was known throughout the world really as a wise and successful ruler. Not only did he enjoy great renown as a leader, Solomon also enjoyed every luxury imaginable. 20 palaces, 50 chariots, a fleet of ships all his own, the finest foods and wines, a thousand beautiful wives and concubines, the most desirable women in the kingdom, whose only job was to satisfy his every wish. Solomon even had as his personal pets uh, dozens of imported monkeys. I don't know why. He, maybe because he could. I don't know. So how did the guy who literally had everything, everything that most of us are chasing in this life, education, money, sexual prowess, success, how did he wind up with such a pessimistic outlook on life? Well, it's simple, because anyone who spends his life chasing his own happiness first is destined to be cynical, no matter how much stuff they end up with. Now, we might not have you know, imported monkeys jumping around in our backyards as our pets, but most of us are doing all right. By every measure, our lives are awesome. We've got plenty of food, uh, unlimited clean water to drink. We've got machines that wash our clothes and dishes for us. Most of us, I guess, we've got refrigerators. Some of us have deep freezers that keep plenty of food fresh for a long, long time. We've got indoor plumbing. You know, how much more could we ask for? We've got it all. So why are so many of us so cynical and anxious and envious and insecure so much of the time? Why are we more suicidal than other societies that have a fraction of the stuff we enjoy? 
I think it's because we've accepted the idea that a person is worth whatever they produce. That's a cynical idea. It's called the extrinsic valuation of human life. And it makes sense at first. You know, we look at Solomon as a great man because he was the king. He was wise. He was rich. He was powerful. Oh, what I wouldn't give to be Solomon. But then you read his words. You realize that being Solomon didn't make him any better than any other man. I mean, does having all that stuff make Solomon a more valuable person than someone who is, by worldly standards, a nobody? For many of us, I'm afraid our answer would be yes. And that's what happens when you measure human worth extrinsically. We will never break the cycle of cynicism until we learn to assess the intrinsic value of life, human life, your life, and mine. In Genesis, God made human beings in his image. Every human being is a divine image bearer. Every human being has royal blood in their veins. Jesus alluded to this when he called a bunch of ordinary, smelly nobodies the salt of the earth and the light of the world in Matthew 5. And Peter affirmed it in his letter in 1 Peter 2.9 where he wrote, You Christians, you are a chosen people and a royal priesthood. Cynicism says, you know, people are just people. People are just people. And people suck. That's not what God says. God says people are made in my image. Cynical Solomon said, everything is meaningless. But Jesus said, you are the light of the world, so let your light shine. The late great Christian theologian and author G.K. Chesterton once wrote, Every person matters. You matter. I matter. It's the hardest thing in theology to believe. So listen to me. You matter. Every person you meet today matters. I pray that we all choose to live as such today. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you Sunday morning for online church. As we continue our series called In the Image of God, 845, 945, and 1105. Tell your friends. I love you all. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.